0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Paul Sugar, who had a near-death experience after rolling his car seven times. Paul, thank you for joining me and welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Well, we're happy to have you. Paul, can we start on the day of that accident and go from there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see. It was the summer of 1969, and I was driving my 1966 Gold Mustang from New Jersey to Syracuse. I was uh, going to take a summer school course at Syracuse University where I had just graduated. And so I was driving on the highway coming up to Syracuse. It hadn't rained in a long time. And all of a sudden, it started raining, not pouring, but just raining enough for, unfortunately, the roads to get slippery because the oil had accumulated on the roads from lack of rain. And so as I was making a gradual turn turn on the highway, I noticed that my car started the fishtail. Now, these 66 Mustangs were notorious fishtailers to begin with, and I should have and more careful, but I wasn't. And so I tried to correct and I overcorrected. And what happened was uh, the car went sideways and then rolled over. And um, I thought for sure uh, I was gonna die. First of all, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt and I, I felt the car rolling over and over again and i figured once it stopped rolling if the if the rolling didn't kill me i figured once it stopped rolling the oncoming traffic from the other lane would plow into me and kill me for sure so i got to a point as i was rolling over and over um and by the way the reason that i know i rolled over 7 times is because when i finally did survive and get out of the car the people that stopped to help me told me. They said, do you know that you rolled over seven times? So anyway, um, the car finally stopped rolling, and it turns out that I didn't roll into the oncoming traffic. I actually rolled into a grass medium that separated the two directions of traffic. Uh, by that time, my car was on its side, so the door was up above me. And so I opened the door. I noticed It was still raining, so I grabbed my umbrella from the back seat and uh, climbed out of the car with my umbrella like that. The people that were by the side of the road who had stopped to help were just amazed, number one, that I was alive, and number two, that I was emerging out of the car with an umbrella. So I wasn't quite sure if I was hurt or not because I kind of felt like I was in shock. And when I when I got out of the car and got to the side of the road and started talking with um, people there who had helped me, um, I realized that I wasn't really injured at all. And there was a little scrape on the on the side of my back, but that was it. There were no injuries at all, and it was just the most amazing thing. And I realized um, at that point that, While I was rolling over and over in the car, I had this experience where my life flashed in front of me as if I was watching a movie. It was at that point where I had just realized I assumed I was going to die. I let go of the steering wheel and I just waited for the inevitable. And it was at that point of letting go. That I had that experience where I was watching my whole life as if in a movie flash by me. And um, it didn't really strike me as being the most amazing thing, although it probably turned out to be. But as I was you know, standing on the side of the road, um, trying to recover my senses, I realized the experience that I had, and, and I just wondered what in the heck was, was that all about? I happen to have pictures of everything because I called a friend of mine who lived in Syracuse at the time, and the accident happened just outside of Syracuse. He came out with a camera and took at least a hundred pictures. I've got I've got this thing very well documented about how severe the car accident was, and of course the car was totaled. So I got pictures of that, and I got pictures of the little scrape on my back and to show that I wasn't really injured. And so that was really my near-death experience. And then looking back at it, um, I realized that that experience had a much greater impact than I thought at that moment, because shortly after the experience, when I I did get back into Syracuse, I, I went to visit an old girlfriend of mine. And she um had been getting interested in in meditation. She was part of a, a yoga study group and and a mindfulness study group and a Kabbalah study group. Most people know what what um yoga is, and perhaps mindfulness, because mindfulness has become very popular, but Kabbalah is still not that well known. At this point, and the Kabbalah is the esoteric tradition of the Jewish um, religion. And so she convinced me to come with her to these study groups and practice groups because they were learning not just the the tradition behind yoga and Kabbalah and mindfulness, but also the meditation practices and, and so forth and so on. And since I had always had this tremendous fear of dying, you know, which I talked to her about, you know, she said, "Well, you should come to these groups because they deal with these existential questions, you know, why are we here? What's life? What's death?" And she said, "You know, coming to these groups might help you um, with your fear of dying." And so I started going to the groups with her, and and as soon as I started learning about yoga and its tradition and mindfulness and as yoga's tradition it come really comes from hinduism and mindfulness has been around probably in every tradition for thousands of years but it's known in the west mostly through the buddhist presentation but it's it goes way beyond buddhism and kabbalah you know of course is connected to judaism so I started getting books and doing the readings and learning the various meditations and so I I ultimately uh, started to combine yoga and mindfulness and Kabbalah in a meditation practice and and once I started I think I think the the key part was in my me- in my meditations I was using the various symbols, that the Kabbalah uses in its tradition, so I started meditating on these symbols and then also working on the the mindfulness component to bring myself into the present moment with those experiences. And as I started to practice these visualizations with the Kabbalistic symbols, I started to have the most amazing experiences. Started having visions and these visions usually had to do with Jesus. I would be in meditation, and I would see Jesus in a vision, and he'd be wearing this white robe, and I could never see his face because his his face was pure white light, Um, but I had a number of those um and and that was pretty amazing and i started to realize that things were changing inside of me these these visions were were really having a, an amazing effect on my fear based life which had really come from that fear of dying for my entire life then i also started having visions of angels and uh, lots of different angels. And usually they took the form of these huge beings. I mean, just huge, uh, with big wings and, and see their bodies as well. And and there were times when, not just during meditation, uh, but just in my daily activity, where I could sort of see the angels, uh, almost like if you can imagine being in a movie theater, watching a movie, but they don't turn the lights off. So you're just kind of faintly seeing these images. Um, and then there were times when I where I could actually hear the flapping of the angels' wings, um, and also hearing sounds, um, music, um, when those angels would make their presence uh, known to me as well. Um, and so those kinds of things continued i also started having experiences where uh, i would go back into different i wasn't i wasn't really deeply into reincarnation at the time but i was going into experiences where i was back in lifetimes during egypt and one particular experience that i would have where i i would be in a sarcophagus where I had been buried alive and I was suffocating. And during the suffocation, what would happen is um, I would end up dying and I'd still be in my body as it was dead. And I would have to go through the process of decomposition. So I experienced the decomposing body fully conscious in the sarcophagus, um, which was a pretty terrifying experience. Most of my experiences were not fearful per se, but that was one of the very fearful um, experiences.
0: If we go back to your accident, and at the moment you were rolling the car seven times and you were having this life review, do you feel like that life review was longer than the time it would take your car to roll? You'd probably roll within two or three seconds. But did you feel like you were reviewing your life for minutes or even longer?
1: No, actually, it felt like it was an instantaneous experience. It was instant. It was as if there was no time.
0: Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people will be clinically dead for a minute or two, but they'll report that they felt like they were there for hours because there's no time on the other side so i was wondering if you experienced something like that
1: no not, not with my experience mine was more of of an instantaneous um experience where it didn't really seem to drag on uh much more than just an instant but that instant um i remembered that instant Uh, in detail. And I could sort of play it back for for a few years afterwards, at, at the very least, the feeling of it. So it stayed with me. And a lot of these experiences, these altered state experiences that I've had over the years, they stay with me. It's almost as if when I have these experiences, there's a connecting cord between me and the experiences so that I can be present with these experiences at any time that I shift my attention in that direction. So it really made that connection, um, in that way.
0: I've had so many people have an experience once they surrendered to death. And again, this is another confirmation that to me, once you finally surrendered, then magic happened.
1: Yeah, and I remember the moment clearly because that moment of surrender, I let go of the steering wheel. I stopped trying to steer the car and I just let go and I just waited for the inevitable death.
0: That's amazing.
1: And it was at that moment that that I had that um, experience.
0: So yeah. So after this experience, You are still struggling with the fear of death. Do you think this accident made it even worse?
1: Um, yes and no. (laughs) Yes, it made it worse. But it also, in hindsight, looking back, it also presented me with an opportunity going forward to overcome the fear of dying.
0: Would you say at this time in your life, you don't fear death anymore?
1: That's right. Yeah, I would say that that's a correct statement.
0: Right, that's great. When you were combining the Kabbalah symbols with your meditation, do you recall what exact symbols you were visualizing?
1: Yes. Well, in the in the symbol system of the Kabbalah, there's, there are very... Um distinct symbols that are that are used, and it's built on the what they call the Tree of Life symbol, which is a glyph that's very, very well known in esoteric circles. and in, in fact, it's a series of circles that are connected um by pathways, so to speak. So you've got um, circles connected by lines. Essentially, and all of the circles represent certain cosmic realities. The lines represent certain cosmic realities. Um, and my experience of it was sort of like it was the Kundalini uh, of the West, very very similar to the chakra and meridian system in acupuncture that they use in in the eastern countries of for medicine. Um, and those chakras and meridians are also used in the Kundalini system to bring up those energies. And so, with the Kabbalah, my sense was because I was studying yoga and Kabbalah. My sense was that the Kabbalistic symbol system was very similar to the chakra and meridian system of the East, but it was more designed for the Western experience.
0: Did seeing Jesus during your visions make any sense to you?
1: um not really, because the only thing I could think of you know I tried to figure out well, why is this happening? you know and the only thing I could think of well first of all, you know Jesus is you know held closely by by the Christian religions and and you know Jesus has a completely different place in the in the Jewish tradition. And so I figured, well, I wasn't brought up Christian. And although I was brought up Jewish, I didn't really identify with the Jewish religion per se. So I figured maybe it had something to do with the fact that Jesus was Jewish and I'm Jewish. And so maybe there was a, a connection there.
0: Even though you couldn't make out his face because it was pure bright light, did you just have some inner knowingness that it was Jesus?
1: Yeah. Exactly. I just I just knew um just knew it was him.
0: Did he try to communicate with you in any way?
1: Um no. Well, there was a, the communication was energetic. It wasn't like we were speaking to each other. It was more like being in each other's presence, you know, I could feel his presence, and, and I'm assuming that he felt my presence, and so there was a give and take there of energy, um, and um, so I wouldn't say it was it was even telepathic, because telepathic, you know, you there are sort of concepts or words being, you know, exchanged there. This was more of just an energy exchange. Same, th- same thing with the angels. Um, no conversation per se, just just a sharing of each other's um, energy, so to speak.
0: It's pretty common for people to say that angels are about 8 to 10 feet tall. Would you say that's the same for you?
1: The mind were bigger. I would say... maybe 20, 30 feet.
0: Oh, wow. It's much bigger. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They were (laughs) were big ones. You know, um, I I still see angels quite a bit, um, during my meditations. Um, but back in those days, you know, this is 50 plus years ago, back in those days, my experience was with these huge beings, um, Now they, you know, in my meditations, I can see their outlines, you know, when my eyes are closed. And they're, this. it's the same feel, just different appearance.
0: You mentioned that there was music sometimes when you saw them. Can you describe the music in any way?
1: Absolutely. It was harps. Hmm. I could hear harps. This was like during the day. You know, while I was at work, you know, I would hear, I could hear the flapping of the wings, and then I'd hear harps, and uh, and I'd look around, and you know, I, it's like, what are you kidding me? You know, and then also sometimes I would smell incense as well, hmm. along with that experience, um, and usually the incense was of the smell of roses. Hmm. It's amazing that I'm remembering this. You know, I should maybe talk about this more often. It would, you know, I'm talking to you about things that I probably haven't thought about in 50 years plus. (laughs) So thank you for that.
0: Hey, you're welcome. I'm glad maybe I can bring up some more stuff in your memory. I know you said you were in each other's presence with you and Jesus, but do you think that you ever got like a download of information from them? Like they you know, gave you a gift of some type of knowledge?
1: Uh, Yes, but the major downloads started happening a few months later. And let me know when you're ready to...
0: Sure, let's talk about about it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, the the first experience that was really unusual, which led to these other downloads, which we'll talk about, the first experience was at the time i graduated, I had just graduated from Syracuse University, and the head of the yoga group was actually a, a farmer in a nearby area. And he had an extensive library. And so I went to work on this farm, it was a dairy farm, mostly because I could learn from this guy and have access to his extensive library. And so I was living in this farmhouse and in the mornings i would wake up and just kind of lie in bed um, this was after i had already started with my meditation practices and my studies and so forth and i started having these experiences where there would be like a television that would open up in my head it's like the inside of my head would open up and there'd be a television there and i could I could see in the television, and I realized that that by shifting my attention, um, I could see all over the planet just by shifting attention. In the beginning, it became very haphazard. It was very haphazard because I realized that I had very little control over my attention, which was which was probably my first realization of the importance of mindfulness practice, which which has to do very specifically with being able to focus one's attention uh, in the present moment, and then be able to choose where to place one's attention. My first lesson was this, I guess you could call it remote viewing, uh, and seeing this television, and then learning how to keep my attention right there in the moment, And decide where I wanted to go. And once I decided where I wanted to go, I could take tours of the planet and just go here and there. And probably had that happening, oh, for a few weeks, maybe seven, eight, nine times. And then that ability started to just kind of disappear. And I Couldn't do it anymore. Um, But then I started to have experiences, out-of-body experiences. This is where the the big downloads come in. And um, as I started to remember things at that point, too. I started to remember, right after I was having these experiences, I started to remember that as a child, I could lay in my bed as I was preparing to go to sleep and put myself into a state where I could feel pins and needles all over my body. And then the next thing I knew, I was up in the ceiling out of my body. And then at that point, I don't remember what would happen there, but I could could bring on these pins and needles and out-of-body experiences for many years as a child. Uh, When I got to puberty, I lost that ability. I can remember, where gradually the pins and needles were not accessible anymore, nor was the out-of-body experiences. But what was happening with me now, and now I'm 21 years old, you know, working on a dairy farm, studying um, Kabbalah, mindfulness, and yoga, practicing meditation, having these amazing experiences, visions, and so Mm -hmm. forth. Well, now I started to have these experiences where I would wake up um outside of my body. So apparently I couldn't couldn't any more consciously bring myself into the pins and needles uh, condition and then go out of the body, but I could wake up from my sleep and be completely conscious and and out of my body. And, and so that started to happen. And And I went through a series of experiences first, where I was back in Egypt, um, wandering through the desert. And whenever I got tired, and would go to sit down to rest, I would sit on the point of a pyramid, so I could get no rest. This was a recurring dream that I had actually had, even as a child, but it started to recur again now when I was 21. And so, as these dreams recurred, I finally decided that okay, I was going to dig out the pyramid. So I spent a few dreams where I was digging out the pyramid. Finally, found the door, opened up the door. The door was hermetically sealed, and even as I'm speaking, I can feel the the whoosh. If you if you remember, like ever opening up a can of peanuts, and and you hear the the of it. Mm-hmm. But when I opened up the door to the pyramid. I could hear that sound and smell and feel the dampness inside the pyramid. And then I spent a number of weeks exploring the pyramid, having very, the inside of the pyramid, having various experiences inside the pyramid. And, um, and then after that, um, had dreams, learning how to dream, learning how to breathe underwater, starting with a backyard pool, Graduating to a lake and finally in the ocean where I could actually breathe underwater in the dream state, not in my actual awakened state. And then during that period with the out of body experiences, I started to I would just go out of the body. I wouldn't have any intention to go anywhere or do anything in particular. But before you knew it, I would be transported to a university. I guess you could call it a cosmic, uh, university, which I, which I kind of found funny because my four years at Syracuse university, I worked at a restaurant called cosmos, which was a pizzeria restaurant <laughs> by the university. And now I'm out, now I'm attending a university at the in the cosmos. Uh, and so I would, so I started having these experiences of attending classes. Um, out there in the universe. And and these experiences, by the way, continued for more than 20 years. Um, And so so going through these classes, and I I can remember um, attending class probably two or three times a week, um, maybe more, but that's all I could remember. And, And the classes consisted, of course, well, not of course, but the, the classes consisted of learning how the universe worked, learning how it works. And so there would be various subjects that I would be attending. There would be others in the class as well, and there were teachers as well. Some seemed to be humans, some not so much. Um, and from time to time, as a class we would go uh, out on field trips so we would travel throughout the universe at at those moments i had no awareness of a body just pure consciousness and we would go visiting various planets and stars and and be able to experience and see the various dimensions with each one of those heavenly bodies and so forth and so on and so I guess the cosmology, you could say if I was taking a major, I guess, you know, cosmology in that sense would be my major. My minor turned out to be learning how to die. And so after the main class, if we weren't going on a field trip, I would go off on my own in the university setting, you know, and and have these experiences where I would be going through a death experience so for example sometimes i would die in a nuclear explosion sometimes i would be shot or killed by a bow and arrow or or fall off a cliff and um, different ways of dying and what i was doing was learning how to stay conscious to be present during the entire death experience without having fear And and so this happened multiple times. And in the beginning, uh, when I would die, the fear would come up and it would throw me right out of the experience. I'd be back into my body in my bed. But as I continued to practice over the years, I got to the point where the death, uh, the fear of dying would subside and I'd be actually able to experience the death with no fear whatsoever. And once that happened, as soon as I was able to die consciously, I would go into the white light and then I would pop out the other end. And when I popped out the other end, I was out there in the universe, just like the field trips that we did as, as a big class, but I would out, I'd be out there by myself. And and by then I was getting a pretty good handle on the importance of being able to focus my attention in the present moment and be able to direct it here and there. So my mindfulness studies were really coming in very handy, which is one of the reasons, by the way, that that I teach mindfulness now, because I I see the importance of mindfulness not just here in, in this reality, but in other realities as well. There's there's a parallel, parallel universes, so to speak, but even more than that. Um, and so I would go off on these field trips by myself once I was able to sustain the death experience without fear. and And just so I would just explore using my attention as a means of travel. um, You know, I'd I'd have my consciousness and which would, I guess you could say, see it as a a metaphor would be my consciousness would be a boat. And then the rudder on the boat would be my attention. And so I was able to steer using the rudder through this ability to focus and pay attention. And so I would visit, um, you know, well, not, you know, but I know planets and stars, and, and you know, go up and down the various dimensions, and, you know, I could see the life forms and the various li- life's, lives that exist in all of these dimensions, and, you know, came to the realization that there is no blank space out there in space, that it's all packed with just an infinite amount of life and forms and consciousness and and so forth and so on and so as i said that went on for a good 20 years and then it gradually kind of tapered off and i noticed gradually over those 20 years a lot of the things that i was that i was learning out of the body took time to manifest in the body so it wasn't an, so for example in a, it wasn't an immediate transition from from realizing that there was no fear no reason to fear death um, out there but when i was in my body i was still having some of that fear although it was gradually going away and so i realized that there was a time lapse between there and here and that the things that i was learning over there would take time to um, manifest here. And so I just, and that was one of my many lessons of learning patience, because I was having this amazing experiences there, and I was wondering, well, why can't I have those same experiences here? But but over those 20 years, I came to realize that, hey, wait a minute, um, I'm no longer afraid of dying. And, um, and then, and then I got to the point where as these, you know, amazing experiences started to diminish and transform into different kinds of experiences, um, not just my fear of dying, but all of my other fears were going away as well. And I, it's when I began to realize that all, um, fear, anxiety, anger, hatred, all of those negative emotions really come from that basic fear of dying, which is really baked into our nervous systems in our bodies. And if we could address that fear of dying in our nervous systems, in our bodies, we would be able to overcome the fear of dying. And, and so I kind of build that into my mindfulness classes when I'm teaching. That becomes a central way, as far as so many people get stuck in that fight or flight mode, so to speak. And so they carry the fear and the anxiety and the anger and all frustration and all those related experiences. So that becomes a, a core tenant in my classes, in addition, of course, to teaching that present moment uh attention
0: you've had paranormal experiences since you were a child and to me it it appears that you may be doing some type of training for death in this lifetime like so maybe this time you'll have a different outcome afterwards would you say that's true
1: uh yeah it could be um it could be. I I mean at this point in my life, um, how can I put this? Uh there's there's not much of a difference between living here, talking with you, and and being there. It, it, there's like a flow between the two of them. And so I suspect that when I die, probably it's, I'm going to be conscious, fully conscious, based on, as you say, the training that I've had for, for many, many years. And there's probably be no fear. and And I'm guessing that it'll just be a very smooth transition. So maybe that's what I'm training for is just to be able to have that smooth transition um, when I die so that there's uh, you know, as little trauma as possible since so many people experience so much trauma um, during their their death process.
0: I guess I should have asked, do you think that's what you came to earth this time to learn at least one of the things to learn
1: yeah well for sure that it feels like i knew that um coming you know as i look back on those experiences feels like that's something that was a given but there's also been a lot of research lately in medicine where There's a realization that there's a lot of babies being born, being stuck in that fight or flight mode. And one of the manifestations of being stuck in fight or flight is to some degree, there is an awareness of fear of dying because the fight or flight mode is our survival mechanism. And the way it works, one of the way it works, one of the strategies is to present you with that fear of death. Because that makes you much more successful in, in surviving. And so you've got all these babies being born stuck in fight or flight and having these fears, maybe not, you know, specifically of death at that early age, but maybe graduate, gradually unfolding like that. And I, I came to the realization many years ago that I was one of those babies because I can I can remember being afraid of dying at the age of two. You know, or or three, and and just having it be present with me my whole life, and then having it all come to a head after that near death experience uh, in my my car accident. Um, so I also found out many years later that while my while my mother was pregnant, she had a nervous breakdown, and so. That may have influenced my nervous system so that I was one of those babies that was born stuck in fight or flight. And so it turns out that, the, you know, the mother's physical, mental and emotional condition, of course, we know has a tremendous impact on the baby and particularly moms who are maybe taking drugs, things like that. And that's why so many babies are, are being born, being stuck in that fight or flight mode like that. So that that seemed to explain a lot of things to me uh, as far as overcoming the fear of death. And that really, yeah, you know, maybe I'll agree with you there because that did seem to be the central theme um, in my life um, until that point where I overcame the fear, you know, and, and then it became... Uh, everything became much broader as far as, well, what am I here for once I overcome the fear of dying? And which is why I teach these things. And and I feel that that's um, another one of my calling. So number one, yeah, I don't think I was really ready to um, teach fully until I was able to address that fear of dying and and realize how important it is to address that in the human experience.
0: Can you give my audience some tips not to fear death?
1: Hmm. Well, I've done a lot of meditation practices, studied a lot of different traditions. And one of the many reasons that I teach mindfulness, which is the ability to focus one's attention on the body, thoughts, the emotions, and the breath. I find that that specific practice of mindfulness, bringing your attention in the present moment, using the body as that gateway into the present moment is the most effective way of affecting the autonomic nervous system so it doesn't get stuck in the fight-or-flight mode and you don't carry the fear around. And so once you can get that nervous system tuned, finely tuned, so that it's running smoothly, it's not stuck in the fear mode, there's a gradual, natural process, I think, where you begin to um, lose whatever fear of dying that you have. There are also, I've also come across some very specific meditations in the various traditions that take you into the death experience. In other words, you're meditating, uh, if I could give you sort of a synopsis of them all, the meditations have to do with you imagine, imagining yourself dying and trying to evoke. the the emotions and the experience that come with the dying experience, Uh, even so specifically as uh, imagining that your body is decomposing, which maybe was reason that I had an experience like that, you know, back when I was 21, maybe it was a meditation that I had practiced some other time, some other place. Um, So you can also do very specific meditations that are designed to bring you into that death experience so that you can address whatever fears happen to come up in the present moment and learn how to sit and be present with those fears and therefore overcoming those fears. So between specific death practices, which are present in all of the meditative and contemplative traditions, so between that and a good, robust uh, mindfulness practice, I think you can really stay finely tuned and, and have no inkling of fear of dying.
0: When you're practicing mindfulness, is it more than just kind of monitoring your breath and what your body is doing?
1: Yeah, here's the thing about mindfulness. It's deceptively simple. It's so simple that many people take a look at it Maybe try it out for a short period of time and say, no, 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 no. This is, this is just too simple. This this can't work. This, this is crazy. But the efficacy, effectiveness of mindfulness is in its simplicity. What I saw and what I learned when I was in those out-of-body states was that you've got your consciousness, let's say, over here and your body over here. In many cases, people don't fully bring that consciousness into their bodies, which creates a problem. The body doesn't like it when it feels like you're disconnected from it. And it senses that disconnection, which by the way, when you go into fight or flight, one of the one of the ways of coping when you're in fight or flight is by disconnecting. That's why people who are in chronic stress, PTSD, things like that—they one of the many things they say is, "Oh, I feel like I'm disconnected." Well, you are literally disconnected. You know that that being this a consciousness part of you is actually outside of your body. And so, getting back to that thread that I discovered with the remote viewing stuff. Um, The importance of attention, being connected to your body, being in the present moment was so important in being able to maintain equilibrium outside of the body. But it's also important in being able to maintain equilibrium inside of the body. So for all those millions and millions, billions of people who aren't fully in their bodies, through this very simple practice of using your attention... focus on the body of thoughts, the emotions, the breath, all of those things that are part of the body, the five senses, what you're actually doing is you're drawing that consciousness, that beingness substance into the body. And the more deeply that you can draw that essential you into the body, the more, um, the more effectively your body will run. You know, it's, some people call it the flow states. And a lot of people are familiar with those terms, flow states, being in the zone, peak performance. That's really the definition of flow states. When that essential part of yourself is fully in your body and things are really working in that flow kind of state. And you're experiencing life much more deeply, much more coherently. Things are working out well for you. You've got a very positive take um, and relationship to life outside of you and inside of you. And so don't be fooled by the simplicity of the mindfulness practice, because you're right, that's all it is. But training the attention. That's a big deal. And although it's a very, very simple concept and exercise that you can practice, not so easy. And I discovered that 50 plus years ago, that it took a lot of practice for me to actually do it. But once I was able to do it, it just opened up a whole new world for me where I could experience life much more deeply um, and, and understand things. Uh, much more fully how things
0: worked. Can you give us an example of manifesting something on the other side and then finally having it show up here in the physical reality?
1: Well, the most obvious thing was um, the fear of dying. Once I got good at dying on the other side and was able to go through the white light pipe, pop out on the other side and take my field trips out in the universe. Um, When I came back to the body, there was still a fear of death. And, And I realized at that point that things that are happening over there take time to sort of manifest here. It's sort of like if you take a dry sponge and you dip it into water, the water is gradually gonna be absorbed by the sponge. And I found that that was the process that happened with my body, that as I was dipping my body into those experiences that I was having out there, it was very slowly absorbing all of the knowledge and experience that I was having out there. But it took for me, for me, it's it's taken many years to fully um, absorb all of those experiences that I've had. And I'm still, I'm still kind of integrating all of those experiences that I've had over those many years. And I have a feeling that I'll be spending the rest of my life integrating uh, those experiences, but that's fine with me because uh, those are fun experiences to be able to integrate.
0: Paul, if people want to find out more about learning how to be more mindful is it best to contact you on a website or do you have YouTube videos? Yeah, well,
1: my website is stressbeaters.com. And I do have a YouTube channel. Um, and during COVID, I was doing a lot of live streaming. So I've got almost a hundred twenty minute uh mindfulness practices. Um up on my YouTube channel and and some additional videos as well. So if you wanted to, if somebody wanted to dip their toe, you know, into a short 20 minute practice, they could go to my YouTube channel and do a 20 minute practice. And then on my my Stress Beater's website, you could also read and learn a lot more about mindfulness and uh, the classes that I teach which I do in person and online.
0: If people have questions, can they ask them on your website or in comments yeah. in your videos?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The best way is to go to my website and you can shoot me an email uh, from my website and and I'll, I'll answer all of your emails. Um, there's also... A phone, you know, you know, I've got a business phone and a mobile phone. People can contact me on that as well. Um, but the best way to to start as, asking questions would be using the website and sending an email from the website.
0: Paul, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: Oh, I've got lots of positive messages. How, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, I would say... Um, I know the world seems to be in a world of hurt right now with lots of chaos and things going on, but my experience that I live moment to moment is that um, behind that chaos is a lots of lots of good stuff and and that we can really make a connection to that good stuff. and and that, that connection can be what guides our lives and what influences how we feel and how we experience life so that you can just see the chaos as something that's going to come and go. But that, that really positive part of ourselves that we can connect to is here forever. And I mean, forever.
0: Paul, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest.
1: You're very welcome, Jeff. Nice to be here.
0: Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.